I've noticed quite a lot of times that, uh, especially in Africa, for the people who have access to TV, of taking, you know, video for, uh, TV formats and placing it into Facebook and YouTube, uh, for us, we know that it doesn't drive as much engagement. My name is Loic Forget. I'm digital director of one of the oldest media groups in the Indian Ocean region. It's called La Sentinelle, and we're based in Mauritius, but we have activities across Africa, as well as in Madagascar and Reunion Island. This is a podcast about journalism in Africa. I am Dickens Olewe. I met Loic a few years ago at a media conference in the US. I was then running a drone journalism project, just like he was in Mauritius. I caught up with him to talk about press freedom, publishing platforms, monetization, and of course, drone journalism. But I started our interview by asking him about the history of La Sentinelle. My grandfather started the newspaper back in, well, 60 years ago. Uh, that was with the aim of promoting independence from the British, uh, which then happened during the late 60s. And today we're a multimedia, multi-platform uh, group of some 500 employees. Uh, we have about 50 odd publications per month and we survey about 60 digital platforms uh, in terms of traffic from an island of 1.2 million inhabitants we have about 1.5 million users on digital platforms on a weekly basis now you talked about multimedia multi-platform uh, i mean you and i know what that means but uh, for people listening to this conversation uh, who want to understand uh, what you actually mean by that. Can you just uh, break that down? I think it's a very interesting question, uh, and I think we have to take it into the context of our cultures. Uh, I say cultures because it varies from country to country, culture to culture. Um, the African uh, culture um, is very different across the continent, um, even in Mauritius, uh, that we, we are classed as an African country, the culture is radically different here than on the African continent. Um, this has its advantage and its disadvantages. But when I refer to multimedia, multi-platform, I mean that we um, have to understand the ecosystem of our media group or groups, um, which is relative to culture. Uh, one of the biggest problematics we have in Mauritius, and I'm sure this is repeated across Africa, is the multi-language um, aspect of our population. Um, in Mauritius, we speak, I, I think most Mauritians speak three languages, being English, French, and Creole. Um, for us to disseminate news, this has long, a long time being a challenge. And basically, my role is to see how technology can help us uh, reach our audience better and in a more efficient way. I mean, you've talked about, uh, you know, just how big uh, your organization uh, is. Um, can you just tell me in terms of, you know, is it a, it's obviously a for-profit uh, media organization, uh, but what's what's your mission? What's your goal? Our goal is very simple. So the company is called La Sentinelle, uh, the Sentinel. Um, that's the mother group, the, the head group, and the flagship uh, is called L'Express, so L'Express of Mauritius, uh, L'Express de Maurice. 
Um, our goal is embedded in La Sentinelle, so it's basically uh, to uh, how would uh, I'm trying to translate it in English right now in my head. It's to uh, anticipate tomorrow. That's basically the motto. So uh, I've been very lucky uh, in a very lucky situation to have a company that mission statement is to innovate. Uh, innovate through media, innovate through information gathering, innovate constantly through um, different media platforms and the newest means. So we could say that innovation for us is within our DNA. Um, and it's it's taken time, but it's slowly bearing fruit. You know, are your audience mostly engaging with your print publications uh, compared to the... Um uh, your online product? It's an interesting question because, uh, and it's taken us some time to realize that mm, these different platforms uh, have different types of engagement. Uh, and I think it's really important to underline that. For example, uh, I look at my father, who's the chairman of the group. There is no way he will be able to be targeted via Facebook, uh, mainly because Facebook doesn't interest him and he is to a certain extent of an older persuasion, of course. Uh, he could be an exception, you could say that. Uh, we do find that Facebook's penetration on the African continent is very different and a lot more aggressive than, let's say, in Europe, in America. We know that the engagement, uh, especially by social media, so Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, does drive a lot of engagement. We have engagement on the website and we definitely have engagement from the print aspect. So in terms of which one is more important or not, I think they're all important. However, I would like to underline that the two main platforms uh, that are quoted by our political infrastructure is usually the print and also the website, a lot less on the social media aspect of things. Um, even though they've passed the law recently uh, trying to outlaw any negative uh, engagement or commenting via social media uh, towards uh, politicians and uh, among citizens as well. That's really interesting to hear because most people, I think your average uh, person on, uh, on the continent uh, who knows a little bit about Mauritius, uh, one thing that probably not associate with Mauritius uh, is the sort of, uh, you know, what you've just said, you know, this kind of clamp down and restriction of uh, of social media. Is that this, the kind of environment in which you're operating, that it is increasingly becoming a bit restrictive uh, for you to do the kind of journalism that is uh, independent? In short, no. Um, I think the government have been aware of social media for quite some time. Uh, in 2014, we had uh, general elections. We are waiting our new general elections, which should be happening sometime this year, uh, hopefully, crossing fingers. One of, uh, of the issues we had with the 2014 elections is that one of the Mauritian parties was the custom of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, we know of its uh, reputation, uh, its negative reputation, 
we know of the data harvesting that was being done for political purposes. Um, there was an article from, I think, Quartz that underlined all the political countries across the world that were clients of Cambridge Analytica back in 2014, and Mauritius featured right at the bottom, as well as Kenya. Um, we are, uh, as a media group, we are aware of this, and we are preparing our own defenses towards this sort of clampdown. Uh, what we're noticing, unfortunately, is that for uh, sit, uh, you know, the average citizen or is a lot more difficult to defend itself towards, let's say, inflammatory, inf um, negative comments towards politicians. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got a, a, a lady that got uh, uh, arrested and had to provide 50,000 rupees in damages to the government for negative comments. And I think, you know, to resume the conversation, I think this is uh, largely to do with the digital education as well. And I think that's something we, we need to underline. Uh, digital engagement, social media has been present for now a couple of years. And I think our political infrastructures is having a very hard time, one, to comprehend, and two, to see the advantage of promoting free speech. Um, we are dealing with uh, political establishments that for the first time are getting a feedback loop and they don't quite know how to handle it. Um, whereas if we look at more traditional uh, media platforms such as print, radio and TV, uh, they have been to a certain extent catered for. Uh, but we, we, I guess, to resume uh, in an answer, we see that we have fought uh, on the newspaper for a long time, and we've had a lot of problems with the local government on our free speech in the newspaper. Uh, therefore, we could say that it is no different to the emergence of social media and website commentary or engagement. Now, you and I met a few years back uh, at a media conference uh, in the US and around about then, you know, I was doing a drone journalism project and so uh, were you and, it's, uh, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. But uh, from our conversation, you know, you have uh, expanded and, uh, uh, you know, at your drone operations. Uh, could you just tell me a little bit more about what you are doing in terms of drone journalism and and you know i'd also like to hear a little bit more about other other tech uh that, that you're also using in your news for, for drone it was a really interesting adventure uh for us um we started off in 2014 uh then again um so we've been doing it for quite some time uh, and one of the reasons why uh we brainstormed using drone technology back then was very simple. Uh, we had general elections that year. We had um, always uh, very difficult uh, problems in terms of measuring the amount of people, uh, citizens that were attending political rallies. Um, and during one of the brainstorms in 2014, just before the elections, uh, me, my editor and Nad um, came up with the idea that maybe we could leverage drone technology uh, 
to take high resolution images and do a head count of the amount of people attending the rallies. They, uh, these rallies um, often happen at the same time in Mauritius. So you'll have two or three or four parties or how many ever parties doing rallies at the same time. So we had to uh, distribute uh, an, a variety of drones uh, across each rally. Now, the outcome of that uh, was that it made the front page of the newspaper the following day with the exact number of people attending the rallies. Uh, and we also provided high resolution images of the rallies for people to view. Um, evidently, the political establishment were not happy about that um, because they had exaggerated the rally figures, I imagine, three or four folds over from the images we took. Um, so that's how it started. And obviously, it generated a huge amount of, uh, of buzz uh, back then because when we look at it now, it was technology innovation to bring information. Uh, and I, th I think that's very important to bear in mind for any media company. So to this day, so today what we're doing is sort of a branching out in terms of a commercial usage of, of, of drones. So we have clients that um, have been hitting us up for the commercial use of drones. In terms of editorial, let's say it's been established for now since 2016, 2017, that our video reports that we publish via Facebook and YouTube do have drones uh, footage supplemented. We're very lucky to live in a place like Mauritius because evidently we have good weather, um, the wind conditions and the environmental factors to fly drones are very good. Um, and we're able to bring a different perspective on a news report that from a ground perspective uh, would not have been possible. Uh, and I refer to that, to the um, 2014 uh, image gathering and what have you. Um, so I, I think this that's the summary. One of the things we're looking into at the moment is we work heavily with DJI. DJI has been you know, uh, our main drone suppliers for a good number of years now. Um, one of the things we're looking into is their latest technology in terms of being able to 3D map uh, a certain location on the fly uh, and then kind of extracting the information so that the, our journalists can interpret it and give more accurate information on a certain area and how um, it's developing. Uh, we're able to keep watch on government in infrastructures. We're able to see if they're on time, if, you know, what they're saying is true and valid and cross-checking and fact-checking. Are there other technologies that you're also using in your news reporting? Yes, definitely. Um, okay, so, you know, WhatsApp it has been for a good number of years one of our driving forces in terms of distributing news uh, on the fly. Um, we're also partnering with uh, Google uh, soon in terms of cloud hosting um, to distribute 
uh, you know, video and multimedia content on the fly straight from uh, mobiles. Um, I would like to also underline this is very important in Mauritius because one, we have small territory and two, our internet connectivity is pretty good. Um, it doesn't cost that much to run such operations. Um, so I guess, you know, instant messaging has been prevalent in our editorial for quite a good number of years. Um, in other technologies that we're looking into, I think there's been a big disparity between systems uh, that are existing and have existed. Uh, by that, I mean uh, workflows towards creating print editions and workflows to uh, push content on our web platforms. Uh, one of the big jobs that we've, we're doing and we're currently doing is actually redoing all the infrastructure internally the whole workflow and seeing that from one system, you're able to push out content to a variety of multimedia platforms. Uh, we imagine that will take us about a, two years of, of you know, building it from scratch. Um, and once we've built it from scratch, uh, it would give the journalist or the editor a 360 range of what type of information is going where from one from their mobiles that's basically our goal okay and and what about the business model i mean how i mean you've you've, you've again you've just talked about how uh, you are now of using your drone operations uh, yeah. to to offer um, yeah. the footage so, to businesses what what, what else how are you making money how are you funding your operations I, I think drone is part of our operations it's not all of our operations so that's you know, we, we also dabble into big data, we do development, we do system engineering, hosting, security, a lot of things. Uh, one of the reasons why this has happened is because we've noticed um, that our web traffic has been increasing uh, over the years massively, um, generally because there's a lot of people wanting to get information from outside of Mauritius, so they are hitting our our, our, our digital portals, um, but also uh, locally, we have suppression on the TV and uh, radio to a certain extent, although uh, uh, the government has just given new licenses to some radio stations on the island. For TV, we have had no license, and there's never been a license so far. Um, hence why, uh, as a media group, it kind of made sense in 2013 to, you know, build a strong uh, digital strategy and being able to provide video news reports via uh, YouTube and, and Facebook, uh, which now we average at about 5 million views per month for a population of about 1.2 million people. So we can already see that the VOD demand has been catered for and is successful. Now, um, to the drone operation I'll, uh, specifically, I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of these innovations, we don't actually know what the market reaction is going to be. So our primary goal is for editorial and news gathering. And we see that there are secondary objectives and commercializations that do happen because we've been able to trigger it in terms of news gathering and uh, data gathering. 
I'll, I'll give you a little example. A couple of years back, uh, we were contacted by an individual uh, that wanted drone services um, on his um, uh, farm. Now, or a plot of land that he owns, more specifically. These uh, uh, images were going to then be processed uh, for a uh, judicial hearing because he uh, noticed that uh, his neighbor had started, um, you know, taking over his land. However, from a ground perspective, you weren't able to show the, the, the actual um, land. So what we then did was to take aerial images of exactly the perimeter of his land and seeing how his neighbor had encroached it. And this was then uh, supplied to uh, the, the, his lawyers to uh, prosecute his neighbor in saying that, you know, you've taken over uh, a property that doesn't belong to you. And for us, that was, you know, th that was really unheard of. We, we weren't expecting that whatsoever. Evidently, we got paid for the job, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that happened was that the um, pilots of the drones had to appear in court as well to testify that, yes, we took these images and give more information as to how they took the images and providing a legal infrastructure um, for that issue. Um, so I, I'm not too sure if I answered your, your, your question correctly, but... No, you, you, you have. Some of the stuff you've said, and especially just at the, at the end there, about uh, providing this drone service, which ended up being used as evidence in a court of law. That's not the traditional uh, model of funding journalism. Is that sort of operation, is, is, do you see that as the sort of thing that uh, African media should also consider and not just narrow themselves to the traditional ways of funding journalism? Definitely. I totally agree with that. I think one of the biggest problems we've faced uh, over the years with uh, journalists is inherently journalists are conservatives. Uh, I know it's a bit shocking to say that, but, you know, we've had a lot of issues of trying to get journalists to adapt to new technologies. Uh, and to a certain extent, uh, it's, I can see it from their perspective in hindsight that, you know, uh, if you take a, a, a journalist with a good career of about 20 to 30 years in print and suddenly tell him that, yeah, it's really nice what you're doing on, on print, but however your article generated 10 times or 20 times more traffic than on print, for him it's very difficult to comprehend that because his engagement has always been a localized engagement uh, whereas an international engagement has been completely, you know, is completely new to him. So I, I, I think we've, we've had to take it slowly. Uh, I, I, I think this is kind of a, a suggestion as well for, you know, developing media organizations. You've, we've, we agree that we will never be Facebook or Google. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the financial strength they have. But however... Uh, we have to accept that it, what is happening right now, but also what we can do and what, how we can innovate, because our innovation inherently will be very particular. It will be very specific. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that Facebook and Google 
do that are good there are a lot that aren't good uh, we have to underline that as well uh, but there's a lot of factors that they do not cater for specific markets as well language being a big issue uh, translation being another issue uh, things like that and these are the problematics that we're trying to resolve uh, with or without um, international partnerships. The other thing that I'm, I'm really curious about is um, how your organization uses metrics. How influential are metrics, uh, audience metrics, in terms of uh, you're making your editorial decisions? And do you, do you think, uh, I mean, just maybe a second question based on what your answer will be, is that how do you think, uh, you know, organizations, uh, media organizations in Africa, how do you think they can be relevant to the interests of their audiences? It's a, it's a really good question. Uh, and uh, uh, for us, we've been measuring metrics since the beginning. Um, it, for us, it's an evaluation of the performance of our news. Um, however... Um, is, is it the only evaluation? Uh, no, of course not. Uh, and to a certain... To a, uh, 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 you know, a realistic opinion of the evaluation of analytics and 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 our figures. Um, journalists, and we know fundamentally uh, through experience what works and what doesn't. And I don't think you necessarily need uh, analytics to be able to tell you uh, if it will work or not work. However, the, the advantage of an analytics on two folds, I feel, at this stage, and to a certain extent, it is um, shared with management as well, is being able to detect um, over time, uh, you know, patterns, patterns of users, uh, if they are changing, what sort of consumption, what are they going towards, uh, and you, uh, then uh, possibly driving more uh, towards a certain type of newsmaking on a certain type of platform. I'll give you an example. Uh, I think Instagram blew up for us, you know, about a, a year, two years ago. Um, and it's generating a sort of traffic which is completely different to anything else we've seen. Um, although it is Instagram is part of Facebook, they are not necessarily connected. Um, whereas we've tried forays on other platforms, for example, Twitter is very poorly uh, captured uh, or used on the island, even though we have a following of some uh, 10,000 odd uh, users. Uh, if you compare that to our Facebook metric, we're talking about 600,000 with an engagement rate of about 2 million per week. Uh, whereas Twitter is, you know, nearly inconsequential compared to these figures. But that does not mean you should not be pushing out to towards Twitter. It just means that the people on Twitter are completely different to the people on, on Facebook. Uh, my personal preference, uh, I mean, I, I, I started off on Twitter uh, while I was living in London some years back, but I personally prefer Twitter to Facebook. Um, but on the African context, that might not be the case. I mean, how quickly do you respond to algorithm changes? Or do you just take a long view and say, okay, this change has happened. It's definitely going to affect how we um, promote our content. We will 
obviously change based on uh, what the the platform in this case facebook say that this is what the sort of content that we think will do very well is is that the kind of where you um you adjust your uh, content strategy or do you see how your audience react before you actually change we do a lot of beta but beta i mean today we might post it one way uh, evaluate the metric and uh, the following day we might post it a different way and evaluate the metric this has been happening quite a lot um but we all i also want to underline uh, another point is that uh, you know sometimes uh, facebook or even google is down or youtube is down um we've suffered you know over the years it's it's few but they do happen you know two or three times a year i'd average about where you know you you don't have access to facebook or access to youtube um uh, these are usually technical issues so i think our dependence on external platforms i mean namely social media needs to be evaluated constantly uh i think our we need we need to build our own platform and everybody needs to build their own platform and be aware of what's happening on their platform because it's your property at the end of the day and you know i I'll, i'll give you a, a perfect example of this um uh, back in 2017 if i'm not too wrong around april time uh we had started using facebook instant articles uh, i think they've discontinued it uh now i'm not too sure now facebook instant articles for people who don't know is sort of your web content on uh, on their platform which is accessible a lot quicker via mobile so this seemed like a very interesting innovation for us back then Uh, however one of the really nice advantages of of that was that facebook was also sharing a, a revenue of advertising that was appearing uh within facebook which appeared evidently on your facebook instant articles pages uh, but what happened uh after 4 or 5 months of using that platform is that we received a message from facebook saying that our content was not in line with their editorial line um and they said and I, I state that if we did not change our editorial line they would um close our access to facebook instant articles uh evidently this was infuriating for us because you know we were we were still testing out we were testing out you know content syndication distribution and it was providing revenue finally uh which i think uh, facebook and google have still have a lot to answer for uh we've seen that with gdpr we've seen that with a, a lot of other things where europe is trying you know to tell to silicon valley you can't uh take the line share of the our revenue basically um so we were very angry back then and evidently we never changed our editorial line uh and what happened was that facebook did kick us off instant articles and we stopped receiving instant articles revenue uh we were very cross however a couple of months down the line after that incident we suddenly realized that actually that's not a bad thing and the reason why it wasn't a bad thing because it made us suddenly realize that there is a technology uh out there uh which exists 
Uh, and why can't we replicate this kind of technology for our own users, which we have done after after that? Uh, uh, so I guess I would just give a, a word of warning. I, I don't think Facebook, uh, with the prolifer prolifer uh, sorry, the proliferation of misinformation, its ad targeting systems, and what have you, uh, needs to be the focus of a media group. The, the focus of the media group has to be, what do we, what do we hold? Who, who do we hold it with? Um, you know, what is our digital infrastructure? And what we've had to do is literally look at the whole digital distribution from the very bottom to the very top. So it started off with hosting and finding host, uh, hosting providers that are in line with our core business. Uh, the content syndication aspect then is laid on top of it. And obviously that inherently brings in security, which we've had to partner with very specialized security uh, firms in terms of managing how we manage our data and who has access to it. And I think this is that very important in this day and age. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little statistic on our flagship Lexus.mu for March, uh, we published an article that we partnered up with an international provider, namely Cloudflare, uh, which detected that for our website, which has a 10 to 12 year legacy, uh, was at, had automated attacks uh, in March of 2019 uh, to the value of about 300,000. Uh, invariably, we didn't, so when they produced and showed us that report, one, we weren't aware it was that high, and secondly, uh, what was even more worrying in hindsight was, you know, if these attacks had been happening before, uh, we had no means of detecting it and no means of countering them. And my last question is, is about immediate trends in Africa. I mean, so what are the changes that you're seeing in both, uh, you know, both in the media that the media should be taking advantage of or are taking advantage of? And where are the audience and what do they uh, want? It's a, it's a really good question. Uh, Evidently, this is a pejorative answer uh, from a user perspective. That means that, you know, varying from user to user, they consume different types of information on different types of platforms. Um, uh, these are preferences that we have, and we're very happy to have it. So I will also like to say that I think in terms of news, yes, we, uh, we're going through a phase where we have to review our whole financial and commercial offerings. This is capital, especially in the digital, digital age with players like Facebook and Google. Uh, the other thing I, I, I would like to say on, on, on that aspect is uh, you have to make uh, content native to its own platform. Um, I, I think I've noticed quite a lot of times that, uh, especially in Africa, uh, for the people who have access to TV of uh, rip uh, of taking, you know, video for, uh, TV formats and placing it into Facebook and YouTube. Uh, for us, we know that engagement, it, it doesn't drive as much engagement as making it native to the platform itself. Instagram is a really good example of that because they've introduced Instagram TV, et cetera, et cetera, which allows more long form formats in a portrait mode, even though that gives headaches to our video department no end because they have to reach it the way or uh, bear in mind, crop the, the, the landscape image to a, a, a portrait size. So uh, 
Uh, I think I've answered you there, um, basically uh, because well, video and online video is a huge driver. It's massive. So I'll give you a quick comparison that uh, we've, we, we do continuously on a mon monthly basis is trying to uh, relativize video consumption uh, towards, uh, you know, red consumption, so article editorial-based consumption. I'm not talking about paper, I'm talking about digital, basically. Video is, a, uh, has, is now about 60 to 70% of our total traffic, uh, whereas it's, uh, our red content is still very high, except video is catching up extremely quickly. So I think uh, what I'm trying to say, um, what device are your users using? Uh, we know in Africa, mobile is king. And whether the content is suited for mobile view. Uh, just to finish off uh, this answer, I had a really interesting conversation with somebody, uh, one of our divisions in Madagascar, where, you know, Madagascar, like a lot of African countries, has uh, invariably very a very difficult time in having digital connectivity across the country because it's so big. Uh, and one of the things he was working on was SMS news distribution uh, as a subscription model. Um, so people who can't afford smartphones are able to you know, get headlines, are able to get uh, daily reports in SMS format. Uh, evidently, that brings other considerations is how much information can you put into SMS. I think the limit is, you know, 100 words or 100 letters or characters or something like that. Uh, so you can't, you know, push out 300 words and expect it to go through. Uh, so we've had to, again, uh, rethink uh, how well he had to rethink how the news uh, the media organization distributes for different platforms and that's what I mean by being you know uh, platform agnostic uh, in terms of you're not going to put a YouTube video in an SMS feed because that doesn't really that's not going to engage uh, but it could drive traffic towards your website that's Loic Forget, the digital director of La Sentinelle in Mauritius. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you want to know more about journalism in Africa, check out my website www.dickenzolewe.com. My podcast is also available on iTunes and if you have an Android phone, download it on Stitcher app. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And please rate the podcast when you find it. As always, for any comments or feedback, I'm on Twitter at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.